Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back, cause it's root, root for the whole team. They don't wait, it's a shame, cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I'm your host, James Christopher, and we are out here on a sunny and beautiful day in the Alamo City itself, the San Antonio Missions out here at Wolf Stadium. You can see we got batting practice and fielding practice going on behind us. We've got a great show for you today. First of all, we're going to be visited. You might have noticed the hat. We're going to be visited by the Asheville Tourists. They are the latest addition to the Houston Astros farm system. We've got them on the show to talk about playing in one of the most historic ballparks in the country and joining the Astros again. I am also trying to figure out how to get a hold of a classic Asheville Tourist 80s jersey. If you're out there and can help with that, please let me know. But we're also going to be out here at the San Antonio Missions. This ballpark has a special place in my heart. This is one of the first places where I attended a minor league baseball game and fell in love with it. I'll never forget coming with my wife while we were still dating. As you know, I grew up in Houston. I grew up at the Astrodome. I didn't really know what minor league baseball was outside of having seen Bull Durham a half a dozen times, mostly because I thought um, Susan Sarandon and what's-her-name was really attractive. So I didn't really absorb a lot of the minor league baseball from that movie as a young man. Coming to these games, coming to this park with my wife Jessica at the beginning of our relationship was so important to what our relationship would become. And so it is so awesome to be out here. You're going to see a lot of new faces tonight. You're going to see that Tim is back and, and Nathan is back and Shelly's back. We're also going to be joined by Cedric Thomas-Smith, filmmaker from San Antonio, and Alicia Rivera, actress from San Antonio who has starred in our film A Chance of Snow. So you're going to see all them tonight too. It's going to be a great time. We got a great show coming for you today. We've got so much baseball to talk, so stick with us. Who's on first? The Let's Get To Local 9, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. We were excited to welcome Sam Fisher, the assistant GM of the Asheville Tourists, to the show. Sam has been around sports and baseball for a long time, and we were thrilled to talk to her about how she got started in the game and her role with the new Astros minor league affiliate. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think like anybody else, the, the easy the easy starting off answer is that I, you know, grew up playing sports, um, grew up playing softball and was, I grew up right outside New York City. So I grew up going to a ton of Yankees games, actually a ton of Mets games too. But uh, my grandmother was from the Bronx. So mainly uh, that's where I have to say <laughs> I went to games. And uh, so, you know, I always just kind of had a love for the game and, and watching it and she was very you know keep score so you had to know exactly what was going on and then and loved I was always really interested in how everything worked at the same time you know the lights the entertainment the you know how did all the players know how to run out at the same time like just like the little minor details and it and it, you know it didn't really dawn on me back then that that was something I could do as a career but once I got a little bit older and got into college and whatnot I realized you could you know major in sport management so that was 
kind of dipping my toes in the water. And then I went to Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach, or straight outside Myrtle Beach in Conway, but we had the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, who at the time were high A for the Texas Rangers. So I did an internship with them, and then that just that sealed the deal. <laughs> um, I absolutely fell in love with, with working in minor league baseball. Um, it's just so much fun. It's one of the most – I'm I sort of tangentially with the game, right, when we did the show, but I love the fact that everybody who's in the game loves being in the game. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be to be said for that, but I, I, I don't think it's hard to suck people in because, you know, I always joke with, like, our incoming interns, it's the hardest that you'll ever work, but it's the most fun that you'll ever have because games are just – games are just so much fun and you just to see people having such a great time and knowing that like little fine details that you had a hand in make someone's night. I mean, you know, that's what it's all about. Um, Let's go to 2020, the year that sucked. um, But also the year that caused change because obviously we had the pandemic. We also had contraction, which put you guys back in the Astros farm system. So how was that transition of being back with the Astros? How'd that go? Yeah, you know, I think that's a big question coming from a lot of people, and it's been pretty seamless. Um, They've been really great to work with, very easy to work with. I would say that I haven't noticed much of a change other than the signature on the bottom of someone's email says Houston Astros on it. Like, you know, some some branding that, you know, we have at the ballpark. It's been pretty seamless. So that's been been actually a, a blessing after, you know, going through COVID and layoffs and really only having a staff of, a, you know, a core staff of five heading into March this year. Um, so a seamless transition was, was pretty important for us. One of the things I was curious about, because I haven't made out there yet, I'm trying to squeeze in a trip this year, if not definitely next year. Um, it's a pretty historically um, important uh, team in the, in the so the Asheville tourists are one of the most historically important professional ball clubs in all of baseball how do you guys keep like a foot in the past and a foot in the future by reflecting kind of what, what came before and also where you guys are going next yeah I mean we certainly hone in on what our history is um, you know this ballpark was built in 1924 and while it's had improvements it certainly does not have the bells and whistles of a lot of other uh, you know, newer built ballparks in minor league baseball. So we really actually almost sometimes have to hang on to all that history um, and, and to play off of it, but it makes it really fun. Like you come here and it is a, it's a very authentic, true baseball experience. You know, we have the minor league fun, but you know, I was, I was laughing the other day because we had this bat flip go viral a couple weeks ago and someone was like, what stadium are these people playing at? Because there's like, mountains in the background and there's trees like it looks like like the mountainous version of like field of dreams and it and it's just like a really unique layout and a really unique ballpark and I I just have like you can find a lot like this these days so you know all of our doors are wrapped in players that have you know have come before us some as soon as like you know Russell Wilson and I I think he was in here in like 2011 maybe and then all the way back to, you know, when Babe Ruth played an exhibition game here with the Yankees. And then, you know, everyone in between that, that's, that's, you know, come through here. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of history and, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a big part of what we do. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had like the 100th anniversary of Asheville Tourist Baseball in 2015. And we did a, a jersey giveaway series. And every jersey was like a different tourist jersey from a different era. 
so just like things like that that we can do. I mean, that people just people just you know enjoy those things, especially if you're a baseball fan. I for one want to try to get a hold of the '80s pullover <laughs> Bull Durham. <laughs> that one is is pretty. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you devoted a percentage of your life to this sport and to baseball. And we talked a little bit about 2020 being mathematically awful, like it's provable. Um, what was it like for you to be back at a home game for the first time? What did you find that you maybe had missed the most that you didn't necessarily think you were going to miss? Yeah, you know, it was very emotional. I think anybody on staff would, I think probably most people on any staff would say that, but um, our staff was was pretty emotional. I mean, certainly missed the people. Um, we we did have a little bit of a rough opener um, on our end. You know, it was raining and our scoreboard got hit by lightning, so it didn't work. Like there were just like all these random things that that happened that made it extra hard. Um, but I think you know, first and foremost, the people. Like just seeing season ticket holders come in that have quite literally. I mean, I've been coming here every single day since 2014. These people have been coming here every single day since they were like 10, which is like 40 years at this point for them, you know? So yeah. just seeing them get to come back and really uh, enjoy the space again. I mean, we did, we did little things, you know, trivia nights at the ballpark. We opened a restaurant on the field so people could enjoy the space again. But just being able to see them like look so happy to be back was, um, was, was pretty special. I wanted to ask you guys from a baseball ops perspective, how are you adapting to sort of block schedule that you're having, you know, mm -hmm. 10 games at home or, and then 10 games on the road. Is it, are you mm -hmm. finding it sort of cool or is it, is it, is it taxing? How's it working out? Personally, I think it's taxing. Uh, I think it's taxing from like a part-time staffing perspective. You know, it's, it's really hard to get people to sign on for 12 games in a row. Uh -huh. Um, you know, when, when this is their part-time job or when they're juggling other things. So, uh, from a staffing perspective, I don't love it. Um, it's kind of nice when I have two weeks off in a row. So, you know, a little selfishly, that's nice. But I, I would, I think I would like to go back to the choppier schedule of the past, but we'll see what happens. It, it makes 100% sense this year. Yeah. I mean, I think too, I think a lot of people complained about it, but I felt like mm -hmm. that was the perspective of, we just didn't know. I mean, yeah, everything feels really yeah. normal. We didn't know that two months ago. Um, right. You guys are back home. You guys are going to be uh, starting on, on the 15th with the Aberdeen Ironbirds. What can we look forward to in this next big block homestand? Yeah, you know, we are so excited because we're actually bringing back like our full-on promotional schedule this week. So we've got everything from like our, our normal ticket offers, BOGO deals, to we're doing a jersey giveaway, we're doing um, fireworks, we're doing, we're bringing back Thursday Thursday, which started here in the 80s. So it is a Asheville tradition like no other. Uh, people are very excited. And so, yeah, we've got, we've got all the, we're letting kids run the bases again. So all the good stuff's coming back and we're certainly looking forward to it. I guess just as we wrap up then, mm -hmm. you talked about seeing the same six season ticket holders for 40 years. I think that's what makes mm -hmm. this game special. How important are the tourists to the community and how important is the community to the tourists? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's important to, to the, the people certainly, but I, I think back to, you know, Ash, you know, the tourist became about in 1915, the stadium has been here since 1924. I mean, they truly are staples within the city and we do so much in the community and the community, you know, 
supports us because of that. So I, I think there's certainly a very advantageous relationship between the two of us, but it's definitely also one that goes back so long that, you know, they expect us and, and, um, and it's nice to see them show up on our side. I am, uh, I, I love that. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm so excited that you guys were able to get, to get on. I thought it was super cool when, I mean, I'm a big Astros fan, um, grew up, pretty much grew up in the dome. And so it was kind of cool to get that team uh, matched up and I can't wait to get out there. Uh, she is Samantha Fisher. She's the assistant GM of the Asheville Tourists. Again, one of the most iconic teams in all of baseball. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. There's an old joke. Never ask a man where he's from. If he's from Texas, he'll tell you. And if he's not, don't embarrass him. That's one thing about people in Texas. We love our state. We're proud of it. We fly the flag. And sometimes... We wear it on our sleeves, and sometimes that sleeve is a baseball jersey. And when you live in Austin, Texas, we rarely miss the opportunity for the hour-long drive south to San Antonio. It's a city steeped in history, tradition, and in some ways, it is the very heartbeat of what it means to be a Texan. The heart of baseball history beats here, too. Since 1888, baseball has thrived in this town, and for the majority of that time, Baseball fans in San Antonio were San Antonio Missions fans. And today, the beat from deep in the heart of Texas baseball, as it has been for the last few decades, is at Nelson Wolf Municipal Stadium. Affectionately known as the Wolf, it is the home of the San Antonio Missions of the Texas League. Yeah, we're not calling it that other thing. And it is also the home of the Flying Chanclas of the Texas Collegiate League. The Wolf is a wide open ballpark that feels like a fiesta before and during the game. One of my favorite parts of the ballpark is its location, surrounded by some of the best Americans out there, our military, both Army and Air Force. It is not uncommon to see active duty servicemen and women at the game in uniform, and sometimes big Air Force jets flying overhead. The missions are a team that keeps a grasp on its history, not just in the fact that they've existed for over 130 years, but an eye on the greats that have played for this city. Greats like Mike Piazza, Adrian Beltre, Billy Williams, Brooks Robinson, and Dennis Eckersley. The breadth of the impact of the city of San Antonio on baseball's history can be found on the stone monument located on the concourse. But remember, I said a missions game is a fiesta, and so it's all about good food and good fun. From wheel spinner Cruz Mendiola, who has been spinning the wheel and awarding lucky missions fans for years, to the Balapino and his legion of loyal fans. You might even find a baseball show host who can't stop playing air guitar, especially when Far Behind by Candlestick comes on the ballpark. But what makes baseball special will always be the people you see it with, especially those people you've been away from since the start of the pandemic. Anything to feel a little bit of normalcy. And when that normalcy is a night in San Antonio at a missions game, well then we're all winners. Texas forever, baby.
Show me the merch. The best from the pro shop. So we are out here from Wolf Stadium in San Antonio for Show Me the Merch, and I'm with one of my very favorite people, Miss Shelly Deaver Bybee, who is a big baseball fan. Shelly, first of all, this is like our, th- our second or third game together already this season. At least, yes, absolutely. And we have fun every time we, we're we, out we have a at, great the, time. at the ballpark. So. I, I like how we, we decided to record this early in the game so that we, would be, we wouldn't be too liquored <laughs> Correct. by the time we got done. Um, how good is it for you to be – you were mentioned before we rolled how – good it was to be out in San Antonio. It's been over a year. How good is it to feel a little normal? It, it, it is fantastic. I mean, get it, getting back out with the people of San Antonio and just being able to hear the beautiful music that we get to hear um, quite a bit that I've missed so much over the last, what, a little over a year a of, over a year, uh, yeah. you know, quarantine COVID stuff. Um, so yeah, no, it's been fantastic. Doesn't it feel like a lifetime ago of awkward happy hours on your porch where we were like six <laughs> feet apart, where we're yeah. wearing a mask to go to the bathroom, and now we're back. Absolutely. Here we go. Um, we did spend some money, and uh, I want to start out with this amazing cap that I got. Now this is a special cap to me. Um, this was the missions hat that they wore for my first game here with my wife. I remember watching a former catcher from UT steal home all 250 pounds of him. That's what minor league baseball is. So that's my first item. What about you? What did you grab? The first item that I grabbed is um, actually uh, because I saw yours and it was so beautiful. I actually got oh wow the visor. That's awesome. Because but this is the best logo. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I you know when I was looking at everything, the other logos are fine, but this one really I think captures San Antonio. We got the Alamo there. We've got the beautiful SA that's in regular print because the other ones are, you know, sometimes you have to decipher, like the jalapeno S and the, you know, maybe a Davy Crockett S with the the raccoon, you know, tail. But anyway, but yes, I went for the um, traditional logo, which I love. And of course, you know, Nathan, my husband, loves, loves the missions. And when he was a young man, little boy, he, you know, when he was coming to these ballgames, this was the logo. As we learned, remember, in, in our first season, they did not uh, have batting, pitching practice with Oral Hershiser. It was with uh, Brent Strom, maybe. Remember the big de- – anyway, my second thing was, <laughs> you know I rep Texas, and I yes, love you this do. cap. This is the missions cap with the their, their sort of battle flag version of the state of Texas, reflective of the Alamo. But I love the fact that I can wear this to any ballpark I visit, and it's, it's relatively not team-specific, and I can really get people started talking about – the great state of Texas. Love That's it. what I love about it. Love it. Great, great conversation piece. Absolutely. And, and I know that you told me to choose one item, but I must say there is more. Okay. And being a person who lives in San Antonio, a big celebration that's here in San Antonio, and I know that you talked about a little bit earlier, you know, how is it to get back out? And it's great. And one thing that we love to do here is celebrate Fiesta, which typically happens in April, but we are now twice postponed and they're going to have <laughs> Fiesta in June. And something that you do at Fiesta, one of the traditions is collecting collecting medals is that and a so mission it's a missions medal and 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 we've got baby peño on one side and i think we have mama peño on you the other side so you know you can't go wrong i'm like if i can even make it twist i'm like I, you can't go wrong with um that but 
There is more. There's more? Yes, there is. Because once again, we have come through the fantastic, uh, not so fantastic, um, time of COVID, <laughs> which we are still in, but we're gradually getting back to normalcy. But they had some vintage pins uh, and i got a chonkla one because hello we love the flying chonklas as well. well so i did one more too <gasps> speaking of did. the flying chonklas my wife made the mistake of saying i look cute in fishing shirts <laughs> so that's now all i bought are fishing shirts and i got my flying chonklas fishing shirt that is amazing because that should keep you cool it should keep me cool um, and the sun away from well, your look, skin that's, i guess that's it we're about to head out so we're gonna go ahead oh. and and there, there's more. There's more. There is more. So there's more. There is more. What, what else I, is there? I know. I was going to say, I have nothing. Oh, hello. The Jersey gods have delivered the Jersey, something. Jersey gods have delivered. Oh. And happy Raspas. We talked about the chanclas, and now we have the Raspas. Our lovely Corpus Christi hooks, oh. you become the Raspas ever I'm so often. I think on Sundays. It. On Sundays. Yeah, the Corpus Crispy, the Raspas. The Raspas. Um, and I think we have a Raspa on that um, sleeve. We can show the Raspa. Yeah, the Raspa, the snow cone for all my Caucasian yeah. friends. <laughs> the out snow there. cone. The snow cone. Shelly, thank you guys You're so, so much. Absolutely. That has been Show Me the Merch. Holler and a Swaller. A chug of Ballpark Brew, presented by The Hitter Sports. So we are coming to you from Wolf Stadium, home of yours, San Antonio Missions. I am with Cedric Thomas-Smith, San Antonio filmmaker. We are having drinks. Yeah. It's holler and swallow. How you, are you having a good time? I'm having a great time. I'm, thank you for inviting me, and thank you to Let's Get To for having me as a part of this. This is an exciting adventure. I haven't been to a Bishop's baseball game. so Ever? Ever. You've lived here for a minute. I've never been to a Missions baseball okay. game. You like how you and I are hanging out together, so we're having drinks, so I have forgot that I had to have one for this segment. This is not the first time alcohol has touched my, my lips on this. Um, <laughs> overall, <laughs> we're, at, we're having a night. Overall, what has your experience been like? Uh, it's been a great experience. I mean, Midland had a no-hitter for about the first five innings. I was kind of pulling for that. I don't know why. Cause I was too. I'm from San Antonio, and I shouldn't be doing that kind of thing, but it was exciting to watch. But And then what happened? It all went to hell. They went from a no-hitter to six runs in the inning. Yes. They this went from a no-hitter to all the hits. Yes, every hit. And all the hitter. Every hit. Hits um, that hurt my feelings kind of hit. This is a big, a bit of a lull for you before you get started. Tell us real quick, Guilt, give me the elevator pitch, the 90-second. What is Guilt about, and when can we see it? Guilt is a film based on a mother talking to a journalist about the conviction of her son for rape. Not really a baseball movie. Not really a baseball movie, but the kind of movie you'll need a lot of this. Uh, I want to say that I've loved sharing baseball with you tonight. This is our second ball game together, yes. and I want it to be many more. And I'm going to do more with you because I think it's a great time. I love free food. Well, I paid for that, so I love all of the food. <laughs> I love the beer. I love hanging out with you. I love it. The fam and Miss Lish. Miss, Miss Lish is here. We're going to see her a little later on. All right, well, holler and swaller, baby. Let me say holler and swaller. That's right. Let's Get To presents the McIntyre Mule, the Scott McIntyre baseball experience. So we're back here on the McIntyre Mule. We are talking Scott if you've been to Omaha 37 times, don't call yourself the Omahorns. 
Yeah, but it just flows off the the tongue. I don't know. You go out, you're late at night having a couple of drinks in in, in Nebraska, and you're feeling Oma horny. I don't know. I, I don't know what to to say to that. Maybe that was a bad joke. But I you know, you got the Omahogs that Arkansas actually has that behind home plate. It says Omahogs. Um I mm, mm, eh. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Doesn't work for me. Let's talk a little bit about the super regionals. Um, yeah. Obviously, well, enter, an entertaining series with um, with with was it East Carolina versus uh, who was it? Oh my God, Vanderbilt, East Carolina, Vander- and Vanderbilt. No, I'm talking about. Uh, you're talking Arkansas. about talking, uh, yeah, NC State. Yeah. Yeah, um, where you outscore your opponent 28 to 11 and you go home because uh, they win two one-run games. Hey, look, NC State's won State's won 19 of their last 24 games. You know, kudos to the ACC. I didn't know there was a backdoor to Omaha, but the ACC found it because they they're they're the only two teams that weren't seeded that have found their way into the College World Series. Um, 19 and five or, or at this time of year, man, that's hot as can be. And Virginia's kind of streaking the same way. I think they've won 19 of their last 26 or something like that. So uh, th- nobody made it there on accident. I mean, there's some, yeah. there's some mighty fine ball clubs that, that have made it to um, made it, made it to Omaha. I would think, I think to our fans that are maybe more used to college football need to understand that both baseball and basketball uh, by the nature of roster size and the way, particularly the way scholarships work in college baseball, that the talent is much more evenly distributed. This isn't um you know, East Carolina versus University of Texas in football. Of course, that is a different matchup than if they were to meet in baseball. Absolutely. I mean, Dallas Baptist being one of the, the last 16 teams should be uh, proof of that. I think they're Division II school in, a, in other sports. So um, uh, people need to understand not only because what you're talking about, that there is um, it's the talents dispersed more, but now there's fewer rounds in the draft. Uh, we had a year of COVID where yeah. everyone was given eligibility back if they wanted it. Uh, suddenly you've got teams that are incredibly deep. Uh, where you usually get what 11.3 scholarships per team. It's enough to get you through a weekend, basically. Uh, if you only use three pitchers, yeah. Um, and 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 now, I mean, you, you've got the extra players. You've got these teams that that are they're pulling guys out of uh, you know Iowa Western Community College. I say that because I watched a guy throwing 94 last week. He was going to Alabama next year from Iowa Western Community College. Uh, they find <laughs> yeah. these guys in the middle of, of nowhere and, and, and they bring them in. Um, it, it's it, it's a deep, 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 um, wide open uh, tournament, really a tournament, kind of like what the NCAA a basketball tournament has become, but definitely unlike anything football related. For people Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about um, my guys first, because sure. you can imagine what the tone is um, going around Austin, Texas right now. I was really proud of the team for not dogpiling. There was a famous Drew Stubbs quote um, from, well, years ago that said, here in Austin, we don't dogpile till we get to Omaha. And I love that. Um, but there's a lot of positivity about the team. And, and for me, I'm still sitting here in, it's been a great season but I'm not so sure. So why should you, why should, from an outside's perspective, should I maybe be maybe more confident in their ability to make a run than I am? Texas has power pitching. Uh, we, we, you know, we've seen that firsthand uh, being at the, at the game we were at this year, but Texas has power pitching. 
uh, that can come in. They have a bullpen that's deep. They have positional players. You've got a mix of speed, defense, and um, and, and power. And I, I do believe his name absolutely escapes me right now, but your third baseman is uh, one of the best. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the best uh, baseball players I've, I've laid my eyes on uh, in, in person. It, he, his tools truly stood out. Texas has a lot of that. Um, you've got guys that believe in themselves. They've been through, uh, they've been through a, a, a deep, um, what am I trying to say, a deep conference schedule as well. They, they've been there. They've played some good teams. Texas Tech, Oklahoma, uh, they, they aren't pushovers here. Um, Oklahoma State. So you've been through a bit of a mix. And I, I think the horns are, um, are absolute legitimate contenders in what I want to call the orange division of the color. There's the orange bracket with Virginia, Tennessee, and Texas. And and then there's the red bracket with NC state, Stanford, and Arizona. Um, so in the orange bracket, uh, the horns are are absolutely a contender, uh, but Tennessee is a real force. Now there's another team in that bracket as well that already beat the pants off Texas in that beginning SEC Big 12 championship. How much does a game in January matter in June? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's completely uh, different. The the pitcher that Mississippi State used finished the year six and five. He was their number two starter. He slipped back. Um, I I think that Mississippi State. Um, you know, Notre Dame's a, a good team and they got a lot of offense, but I, I really think Mississippi State's kind of had an, an, an easy way to get there. And, and I don't think they're going to see the same result in Omaha that they saw in Dallas when they played Texas. Um, I read Baseball America. And so maybe because I read Baseball America, I think that this is really Vanderbilt and everybody else. Am I wrong there? Or is Vanderbilt, do they, do they add up? Or is it just two great arms or, or, or what? You got arms like uh, Kamar Rocker and Zach Leiter. Um, that's two games that you expect to get your starting pitching through the seventh inning. And in college baseball, that's huge. Um, they they can be dominant. Absolutely, they can be dominant. They're early in the year. They were projected to be top three picks, both of them. Now they're projected to be top ten picks. Either way, they're going to make a lot of money after this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they come from families um, that you know, Al Leiter and Tracy Rocker, each one's respective father, um, they, they have an athletic background. They, they've, they know what it takes to be at this level is sure. what I'm saying. So um, I think Vanderbilt has a ton of talent. I think their bullpen gets overlooked because of Kamar and, uh, and Zach. And I, I think their offense uh, and, and defense, I mean, they play really solid baseball. I think all that gets overlooked. Uh, I do think Vanderbilt comes out of, of that side of the bracket. Um, I, I, I don't believe in Stanford, even though they swept Texas tech and I called that completely wrong, completely dying wrong. on that hill though, baby. Uh, You're like, I, yeah, I, I'm just like, you know, Hey, um, I, I don't, I don't see Arizona, uh, beating them. These are, these are fine ball clubs. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, and NC state is absolutely streaking and they're one through four hitters are as good as any one through four, uh, in the nation. If they get pr- production from, from five through nine, I'll be honest, NC state, uh, could surprise Stanford on Saturday and, uh, and, and be probably facing Vanderbilt on that Monday. But I do think Vanderbilt comes out of that side of the bracket. I don't, I don't see how that doesn't happen. Do you think Al Leiter, um, if we, if he could, would go back and rename his son Harold so they could have Harold and Kumar starting? He should, he should <laughs> Harold and Kumar go to Nashville and make a lot of money when they leave. That's the sequel. Uh, they make a lot. I like that. I like Harold and Kumar go to Omaha. Harold Leiter. Um, Let's just call him Harold from now on. No, Harold. We dub the like Harold. 
Um, before we kind of wrap up, um, what team, because we had a lot of upsets, right? The number one, the number one seed is gone. Texas is now yeah. like default, the highest ranked seed. I think the three seed, the four seed are still intact. But after that, who has the best shot to kind of, like you said, get hot and really make a mess of things? NC State. I, 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 honest, I, look, they're, they're not seeded, but they've got one through four is solid. Their pitching has come on strong. You win 19 of 24, you, you start believing in, in yourselves. And let's say Zach Leiter leaves a couple of balls up uh, early on, because I, I figure he's going to be the game two starter uh, and would be facing them. Let, let's say they or Arizona wins, and then they, they um, put some rocket fuel on, um, uh, on whoever, on Arizona. I, I think that NC State could really disrupt the party. Look, man. It takes a lot of resiliency to get your brains beat out 21 to two on a Friday and then come back to back and win one run games in Fayetteville, Arkansas against the number one team in the nation. That man, that's some um, El, El Grande Cajones. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you gotta, you gotta show up ready to play and, and not believe what you're hearing. Cause you've been told you don't have a chance at this place. Well, right. It turns out you do. Turns out okay. you do. Let's go. Um, all right. Who is in the final then? Who comes out of the orange bracket and whatever we're calling the other bracket? So, uh, yeah, the red bracket, uh, the red bracket, the red bracket, the, the team that comes out is gold and black. And it has, I do think they have the coolest uniform combinations. I do too. I wouldn't want to play in love with it. summer, but no. they look beautiful. No, those black with the gold pinstripes kind of looks like prison outfit a, a little bit from like the 20s or the 30s, but um, from the last 20s or 30s in the 1900s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Vanderbilt comes out. Um, they they can they can buy a lot, and I think they're dangerous in a um, in a three game set if they do make it out because you can throw Rocker and then you can can throw Lighter in the first two games and Johnny Holstaff in game number three if need be. Uh, on the other side, I am torn. You ask me right now, and I'll say Texas. You ask me later, I'll say Tennessee. I think both teams are incredibly good. Uh, and they are incredibly deep. They have a lot of pitching. They have a lot of um, um, a, a, a lot of positional talent as well. I um, I want to see Vanderbilt, Texas. Um, I think we may see Vanderbilt, Tennessee, which is a great story for like half of the state of Tennessee. I guess nobody else gets a rip. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to go chalk on this one and I'm going to say Vanderbilt and Texas. And I do think that the Vanderbilt's just too much. I, I, yeah. I think it's the Commodores year and good, good for them. It's good. They have a sport because God knows they suck at football yeah. and did this year at basketball, but they can, but they can, they can do math. All right, Scott, that wraps us up for this. Now here's the fun part about this in, in the time space continuum of how things work with the show, this episode is going to drop nine o'clock on Friday, approximately three hours before you pick me up at the airport for our first big road trip of the season. Let's go to the duck blind and to Fond du Lac. Correct, Madison and uh, and Fond du Lac. We yeah, are, we're going to go we look at the way to go do, deal with some dock spiders and some mallards. All right, we'll have some. We'll have more for for them with you coming up next episode that we're going to shoot at ballparks. It's all very confusing. I just I just show up. You tell me what to do. Remember, man, <laughs> Harold and Kumar go to Omaha. Let's get to presents Goodwood knocking around the majors with Andy Tom Chesson.
So we're back here on Goodwood with Andy Tom Chesson, and we're continuing our talk about um, cheating, this relatively new phenomena in baseball. Andy, how's it going today? I am still mourning the loss of the integrity of the game of baseball as we know it today in 2021, because none of this has ever, ever happened before, ever, 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 never not once. And we wanted to look at, at sort of three of the biggest um, recent cheating scandals. I mean, we can talk all we want to you about um, the Black Sox and all of that stuff. But I think what I think has been interesting is something we were talking about is with the advent now of punishing um, pitchers for doctoring balls, including them going as far as banning sunscreen at certain times, which to me seems like a medical lawsuit waiting to happen. Well, I mean, it'll take 10 years and nobody who's in the Major League Baseball front office will be in, be in the front office in 10 years, so they don't care. Um, I will tell you, having sat in Minute Maid Park with the roof closed because um, sunscreen is allowed if it's a day game, uh, as long as you're not indoors. But having sat in an indoor stadium with a big glass wall, uh, you get just as burnt, if not more, because I'm pretty sure those windows are UV magnifiers. It's how prisms work, I think. Yeah, um, I do think part of it, too, is you've got on one hand recency bias of most of the people that we're talking that are talking about this, because most of the people that have perspective of the game were alive during steroids. Most of the people that are being the loudest, though, were eight years old. They don't have any idea. And then you've also got um, people are now afraid that their teams will get caught up in it. Much like I think people maybe were initially afraid about their team getting caught up in the sign stealing and not necessarily, of course, we know that didn't happen. Yeah, you know, the, we talked a little bit off camera, a little bit um, off pod. Uh, about how we would rank these things. And I think, it, you know, there's, it's pretty anticlimactic to rank three things, right? So um, we know as Astros fans or as fans of Major League Baseball since uh, January of 2020, that there's one giant issue that everybody thinks is the worst thing that's ever happened in baseball. Um, those of us our age, a little bit older, um, remember the steroid scandal and remember that there was a time when the estimates conservatively were 50 to 60% of all players were using performance enhancing steroids, which weren't necessarily against the rules, except that all illegal drugs were against the rules. And a lot of the things they were taking were illegal drugs um, that were classified as steroids. And it wasn't just your Mark McGuire's or your Rafael Romero's or your Sammy Sosa's that were taking it. And I think there's probably, you know, the big names, probably Jose Canseco, um, maybe some of you a little bit deeper baseball, um, think Ken Caminetti. But I, I want to think of um, Steve Finley. Remember Steve Finley? Yeah. Steve Finley hit 50 home runs one year after he went to Arizona. Never hit more than 10 in Houston. Barely hit that many in Baltimore for the little bit of time he was there. Yeah. Um, but magically, as he got older, he got super strong for like one or two seasons. Luis Gonzalez is another guy who was a good contact hitter, more or less a punch and Judy hitter. Uh, all of a sudden had a 57 home run season, which at that point was top five in the history of baseball. <laughs> Little Luis Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. Out, out of absolutely nowhere. And what you had was players seeing your big name players and even the Steve Finley's and Luis Gonzalez's of the world. And I'm not pinning anything on them. You know, a lot of this is still suspicion, but 
also taking those kind of performance enhancing steroids, endangering their body, putting things they didn't know what was going to happen just to keep up. Because yeah. you talk you talk about um, I, I can't remember the guy's name because he's so unimportant. But there's a Blue, Blue Jays pitcher who is suing the Astros right now for damaging his career with their sign stealing. Well, guess how many players had their careers damaged or shortened because half the league was taking steroids? Well, and I would say probably more. And I think before we dive into steroids, because I think that there's angles too people haven't even considered. And you're gonna I know you have one that you want to hit on. You just hinted at I've got one. And what I think is interesting about um, if we were to play the if this, then that game, you nailed on a, a nail on the head. Performance enhancing drugs, as a matter of course, and strictly speaking, were not illegal. The biggest thing I've seen coming out of um, the recent news about how they're going to punish the sticky stuff is to say, oh, my God, players will get suspended and no Astro got suspended. The rules never dictated players would get, be, be suspended. But what, who did the rules say would be dis, suspended for science dealing, Andy? Uh, the man, well, the general manager of the team and then the on-field, man, on-field coaching staff. Who was punished for the Houston Astros? For, for uh, the general manager of the team, one Jeff Lunau, and the on-field management um, of A.J. Hinch. And, so, and Alex Cora. Yeah. And – indirectly uh, Carlos Beltran, although he was the only player who has ever been suspended for sign stealing. My point is you lay out, it is un-American to change your punishment because it fits a narrative you want. And so um, before that's, that's sort of my last aside, you know, I think you and I both agree that um, that performance enhancing drugs, steroids was a much bigger blight to the game and a much more dangerous and I think a bigger cheating scandal. Look, we get, we acknowledge the fact that sign stealing is bad because in some ways there's a larger team apparatus there. You have to be doing some level of top to bottom nefarious stuff. But to Andy, does that, mean that, does that mean every single player who did steroids did it all on their own or their own volition and their own choice? Um, well, I think there's a couple of things there. A, Major League Baseball was 100% complicit in the steroid scandal because it, like doctoring baseballs, Everybody knew it was happening, but post the strike in 1994, Major League Baseball wanted offense because that was going to bring crowds back. That was going to bring people back, and it did. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, 1998 season is a legendary season, more so than Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's streak in 96. But those are the two big events credited with saving baseball as we know it. But Major League Baseball absolutely knew what was going on that led to that 1998 season. Because if you remember beyond Sosa and McGuire, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., who no suspicion, but three other players besides those three were in that race for a while. And three of those guys you can't name because they never did it again. Um, They were complicit because they needed the crowds. They needed the crowds because they needed the money and they kept quiet about it. And it's very similar, um, although it's an opposite, uh, opposite kind of action as to what they're doing now with the doctoring baseballs scandal that nobody wants to call a scandal. Uh, It has always been illegal to doctor baseballs. Oh, it's been in the rules uh, since, I can't remember the guy's name, but we talked about him last week. The guy got killed from a a mudded up baseball that he couldn't see during a twilight game and got hit in the head. And since that point, new balls, undoctored balls, everything. There's in the movie Eight Men Out, um, about all the changes that are coming to pitchers to Eddie Seacott. They're going to take away your shine ball, all that stuff. We can date back to 1919 that this was becoming a thing 
on the radar for Major League Baseball. So this is a scandal now because also about money. But the other way, the um, CBA is going to expire in December, on December 1st. And Major League Baseball is trying everything they can do to splinter the players' union, putting them against one another, putting them under suspicion, trying to reduce their power as much as they possibly can, similar to what they tried to do with players um, during the White Sox or Black Sox scandal of 1919. Um, it, it is uh, a Machiavellian effort to try to undermine half of their, their entire labor force to win a labor negotiation. And somewhere in the middle of these two things that we've talked about in steroids and in ball doctoring, you have sign stealing. And, and let's not talk about the Astros for just a minute. Let's talk about the 1958 uh, New York Giants. Yeah. Uh, one of the most incredible calls in history. Giants win the pennant. Giants win the pennant. Oh my God, the Giants win the pennant. You know what happened before Robbie Thompson hit that baseball? There was a light flashed from center field by the home team because they were stealing signs with a telescope. And, you know, as much as I've heard over the past 14 months, 15 months, that baseball is never going to forget, do people hold it against the Giants? Do people hold it against Robbie Thompson because he probably knew what pitch was coming? They absolutely Once don't. He did, uh, did, were those Giants and – It's, um, you know, there's a whole lot when people start talking about the integrity of baseball that proves to me that people don't know anything about baseball because baseball is not a game of integrity with the possible exception of continuing to keep Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame. Because there is one rule prior to this last decade that anybody gave a crap about in baseball, and that was not gambling on the game. I did by chance catch a Rangers game on the Valley Sports Network, though. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and um, guess what? As Nike has opened the door for logos to be on Major League uniforms, it's only a matter of time before the Golden Nugget are sponsoring your Atlanta Braves or the Las Vegas A's, which is more appropriate. Which is more appropriate. Um, let's talk about steroids then, because I think one of the things I think is, dis is, is uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say disappointing. I don't know that I care, but I remember it being the scourge after the Bonds thing, all the trials, you know, Roger Clemens, who I already wasn't a huge fan of, and that didn't help. Um, but I was told to be the thing that baseball would never forget. And now it seems like we're not 20 years removed from it all. And already there are, why aren't we putting these guys in the Hall of Fame? Let's go back to what that experience was like. And, and you touched on it. Look, cheating is, is, is there's a reason why the ball players don't call it cheating. They call it trying to gain a statistical advantage. Baseball is a hard game. And if something's worked for somebody else, then other people are going to try it just to keep up. So why in the, in the, in the steroid era was that more dangerous than say, Hey, Carlos Beltran saying your way of stealing steins is way behind the times. Do you see what I did there? Well, I, you know, first of all, nobody's going to get testicular cancer from stealing a sign or banging on a trash can. But you will from the wrong mix of steroids. And it's not like these guys were visiting doctors. They were visiting personal trainers who happened to be able to get a supply of things. Uh, as, you know, when you talk about the Balco scandal with Barry Bonds and the other players associated with the cream and the clear. Um, you want to talk about Mark McGuire uh, 
with uh, the andro that he kept in his locker because he didn't realize it was even a type of steroid uh, out in the open. Um, but you have you have you have players who were required to basically put their lives at risk, their future health at risk, to stay in baseball because the guy in AAA who was taking, who was juicing, was absolutely going to take their job. And I understand the argument that, well, you know, hand-eye coordination is hand-eye coordination and it doesn't, steroids don't help you hit. And that is true. Steroids do not help you hit. But steroids do help you when you make contact, turn a warning track fly ball into a home run. And you, that, that's been proven through the numbers that have been published throughout that entire almost 15-year period, um, beginning in the mid-90s, where the balls were just used up until probably 2000, or excuse me, the players were just used. Balls being used is a whole different thing. And that was um, up here, so yeah. Okay. But the league's, the league's doing that, so it's not cheating. Integrity intact. Um. That's, but that, yeah, you're exactly right. So you have kids, kids, let's be honest, you know, your double A player who's 22, 23, body's still growing, um, now injecting themselves with stuff to enhance performance. You also have guys like Andy Pettit who, look, and that's the thing is, is, is I don't think everybody that used steroids is a villain. And I think I'm a big Andy Pettit fan. I was before he came to the Astros. I like him now. I like that he was upfront about it. But it's hard to argue with him saying, if I do this, I can stay in the show for another year or two. It's a direct relationship to keeping his job and to keep competition um, as the way we handled pitching was starting to change in the majors. I think one of my favorite players in the history of my fandom was Ken Caminetti. Um, And he went from not a journeyman, certainly above replacement average third baseman, defensive specialist with some power to an MVP candidate in San Diego. And that directly corresponds when admittedly he started taking anabolic steroids. Um, And he's dead now. And there is nothing that can, nothing that can be directly proven, but there's a high amount of suspicion, kind of like the CTE thing in football where it's there, you know, there's, there's a correlation. We just don't really know what it is yet that the wrong combination of these drugs and your personal chemistry can lead you to do things like commit suicide, like die of cancer, like whatever those things might be that you might fear. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's not dying, but maybe it is living at a reduced capacity for the rest of your years. So you've got an extra two seasons of baseball in you. Well, I, and look, I, obviously, I'm not going to make this correlation, but I'll just, you know, I'm pretty open about the fact that I do uh, testosterone replacement therapy. And Part of that is essentially like when getting that mixture right at first, it was very dark and I was prone to anger. I was prone to all that stuff. So I cannot imagine, and this is one point I wanted you to touch on. That was me under the supervision of a doctor. These are not people going to the CVS or an actual MD to get these, these, uh, these chemicals. And, you know, you know, they were, you know they were aware that it wasn't on the up and up when there was no trail from a doctor, when it all came from a personal trainer that required no medical insurance, that required no anything but cash, probably weren't even taking credit cards at that point because you wanted no paper trail following you around saying that you purchased these things. Unless you're Barry Bonds and you're the most incredible person in the world and you have a Valco chasing you around. 
but even that took um, Sports Illustrated back when they cared to do investigative journalism, digging for years to uncover that. Uh, it's in my mind, and, and it's, you know, the recency bias I think is real, but because I've lived through the three things we're talking about, the steroid piece is always going to be worse in my mind. And I don't think the Astros were immune to it. So it's not coming from a place of, well, I'm trying to dismiss the sign stealing. Sign stealing is part of baseball. And of the three things we're talking about, sign stealing is not illegal. It's not against the rules. Electronic sign stealing is. And the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros have all been cautioned for it. The Astros got punished for it. Um, I guess the scoreboard operator in Boston got lost his job for a season or something like that. So that's a big deal. Um, but there are literally books and books and books about teams stealing signs throughout the history of baseball and using whatever technology was available to them, whether it was a telescope in 1958 or an Apple Watch in 2017 or a trash can later on that same year. It's just, it's against the rules. But if you're going to triage the three things, that's not going to kill you. Steroids. Well, not only that, of, of everything, you know, we could get into the hypocrisy of all of this, of some of the very players that were um, accusing the Astros of doing these things were arguably using the sticky stuff on the baseball. So I don't know what you're it. talking about. Trevor Bauer's spin rate <laughs> hasn't dropped at all. Yeah. Uh, and he's not getting hit all over the ballpark either all of a sudden. But the one thing about sign stealing is it's the easiest thing to defense against. Sure. Change your signs. Ask Alex Wood in game. What was a game four of the world series? Mm -hmm. Unhittable. Um, and the, the fact is with steroids, um, there's one other thing I want to touch upon because we've touched upon the fact that you're encouraging people to do long-term damage to their bodies that we don't know what those damages are. We determined, we talked about the fact that it comes from illicit, illicit. I mean, Jose Canseco was injecting his teammates. I don't yeah. trust Jose Canseco to give me a flu shot. So um, there we go. The other thing too is, is the reason why gambling is, is embedding in baseball was a problem beyond the fact that they threw the world series. They threw the world series because organized crime was involved. And that's another part of this, that there was a lot of evidence that, some of the funding from this, some of the funding from these, these um, illegal laboratories were coming from organized crime sources. It overall made the entire game much more dangerous than it, than it had to be. Right. Agreed. And that's, again, if you're triaging these things, there is one thing that really damaged the integrity of baseball and it wasn't doctoring a pitch and it wasn't stealing a sign, whatever means you were using. Um, but it absolutely was 50% or more of your players taking substances to increase their physical prowess. And when those substances are being supplied by any number of characters from all kinds of walks of life, um, that's a dangerous place to be. There's no regulation. Yeah. Like you no, said. Me no, me no medical um, protection. Um, and, and there's no regulator on it because the next guy moves to the next strongest thing. Just like we've seen with the pitch doctoring. You know, you have pitchers right now who at the beginning of June, when this was all starting to get out, um, that, oh, well, I'm going to stop taking using spider tech. I'm going to go back down to pine tar. Pine tar is allowed. Um, and now nothing's allowed. So, I mean, it's, 
but that's that, that's a game. The sign stealing piece is a game, and it's a sideshow for what Major League Baseball is trying to do to the players. Um, but ultimately, uh, the people who did not live through the steroid scandal don't understand what it's about. I mean, most of the people who lived through Pete Rose's issues don't really understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, it, you know, that situation is pretty cut and dry to me. Yeah. And I think to to wrap up, like you like you reiterated, I want to reiterate, we don't really like, you know, when the, when the minute the memo came out from the commissioner's office making what the Astros were doing illegal, they should have stopped. Luno intentionally did 100%. Yeah, we, we are not at all saying this exonerates the Astros. Wanting other teams punished doesn't do that. And I think, look, you and I are smart enough guys, and one of the ways you can tell who was using steroids and who wasn't was the kind of injuries that ended up ending their careers. And we can look at some of our favorite players we grew up with and be like, oh, that was a weird injury you started to have repeatedly. And maybe you also felt the need to keep up. So we're not saying any of that. All we're saying is if we're going to have a discussion about sign stealing and, and spider tack and all this stuff, we have to do it in a way that's honest with integrity. We can't, because steroids was 20 years ago, really 20 years ago, but guys are still getting pissing hot for it, by the way. We can't somehow downgrade it because we want to temporarily make something seem worse. Yeah, and it took um, Major League Baseball, like I said, 15 to 20 years to respond to what they knew what was going on in 
the, the part of it speaks to a roster problem with the Astros, which is probably their 20th to 25th player are replacement level players. And so anytime you play any of them, it really feels like there's something sort of missing. When you play the top level players, you're like, hey, that's a really good lineup and a really good pitching staff. And uh, you you see the results. Which, of course, means don't anybody get hurt, hurt or otherwise this will. And I I do think it's really what you start to see, like when you talk about the Astros window. Yeah, I think anybody that's that's smart enough to understand that the peak of that window is probably 19. And that while it might be closing, it's closing because, as you pointed out, 20 to 26 isn't as good as they were in 2017 through 19. But this is still a really, really good baseball that has a shot to win it all both this year and I would think next year. Yeah. And and one of the most encouraging stories, I've said this before on here and I'll say it many times, one of the most encouraging stories this season for the Astros is the development of Luis Garcia, Christian Javier. You can see that they're going to have a really good starting pitching staff, uh, not only this year, but that that will continue into the next couple of years. They've got some really good young pitchers who seem to be you know, someone they're going to be able to rely on for the next couple of seasons. Well, let's move into, and this is something that I'm actually intrigued by, uh, and that's the concept of the six-man rotation. It does seem to me that if you have strength of, and as you pointed out, there are legitimately seven starters on this team. One of them, Christian Javier, has already moved to the bullpen and has excelled in sort of that kind of piggyback role, which is interesting because it's what the Astros do as a matter of course in the minor leagues anyway. Um, what are your thoughts on how, well, first of all, logistically, how does this six-man rotation really going to work and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think the first thing to note is this is a good problem to have. The Astros have seven healthy starting pitchers once uh, Lance McCullers comes off the, the injured list today. And so while people have talked about this for a while, I've been sort of, you know, hey, getting seven healthy starting pitchers is a real luxury in modern day Major League Baseball, heck, probably at any point in Major League Baseball. So it's a problem they have to deal with. Going to the six-man rotation, there are two negatives to this. Negative number one is you take some of your best players, for instance, the Framber Valdez, who's been outstanding since he's come off the edge of this, and he's going to pitch a little less now than you would under a five-man rotation. And so, you know, now part of why that's okay for the Astros is you don't really feel like there's a clear sort of, you know, maybe it's Fromber, but there's no sort of clear sort of single aces. And here's our Cy Young candidate this year. The rotation's been a high floor rotation, lots of really good starters, but none who are, none who are Cy Young candidates. The second thing is how does this change and affect the daily routines of these pitchers who are used to going every five days, except of course, there are plenty of off days in the major league baseball season. And the Astros are about to play, I believe it is 20 straight games without an off day. And so part of the reason they're going to the six man rotation right now is because they're in such a long stretch without an off day. So that a six, you know, a six day rotation, a six day uh, cycle for a pitcher isn't all that unusual and they can adapt to that. And you get more off days in and it gets to a seven day cycle that starts you know, now you're a college pitcher or a Japanese, uh, league, you know, a Nippon professional baseball uh, pitcher who right. pitch on those types of cycles. And that would be different. And again, will they be all healthy 20 days from now at the end of this stretch? You know, we'll see. I'll knock on wood here that they are. Me too. Um, how much of that is helped by the fact that outside of Granky, 
Um, it's really, you're, you're talking about young arms anyway that, for example, like Luis Garcia has sort of been in and out of the bullpen at, at his time with the Astros. How much of that allows them this flexibility versus I don't imagine they do this if it's Verlander, Cole, and Granke in a 20-game stretch? No, and the thing with veteran pitchers, and, you know, Zach Grinke leads Major League Baseball in innings pitched, or at least he was before his last start of injury. So, but anyway, point being, he's a durable guy. He's never had an arm injury in his career. Um, so, yeah, you can pile up a whole bunch of innings. He's also a free agent and is probably leaving after this season. But with the young pitchers, particularly young pitchers who have not built up to 200 innings in their minor league career, matters. I mean, Luis Garcia last year, right? pitched uh, something like 30 total, maybe 40 total innings when we include the playoffs because he didn't pitch a minor league season last year. Um, so, you know, getting these guys, you know, expecting 200 innings from these pitchers. And I think Lance McCullers' top inning season is like 160, which is back in his debut season of 100 uh, of 2015. So some of this is just sort of inning management. They don't necessarily think all of these guys can be effective at 200 innings. And, this is another luxury we have as Astros fans. They have to think about who's going to pitch and pitch well in October. This team's going to go to the playoffs. And you, I mean, even to your point, Arcidi still is that far removed from was Tommy John surgery. I mean, there is still that concern. And I think you're right. The max innings that we're talking about, as far as uh, it's one, if there's one thing I trust the Astros to do, it's to be analytical in how they prep that pitching staff to get ready for the postseason. They have a really good track record of that, and you can see they have really good pitcher development, as demonstrated by Garcia and Javier and Urquidy, all these guys, none of which who were top-level prospects. None of these were, you know, number one draft picks like Garrett Cole or people with, you know, that we've been tracking it like, wow, they were, you know, pitcher of the year in the Texas League, but they're really effective major league starting pitchers, which again is a big tribute to the Astros player development. So let's talk postseason then. One of the kind of storylines going right now, and you've seen the Astros beat writers sharing, is it does seem like the Astros so far this season have had a tendency to play to their competition, which means they have, I think they're playing 600 ball against teams, some of the best teams in baseball, and they're, they're playing below 500 for some of the worst teams. But how much of that was facing two of those worst teams when they had seven or eight dudes out for COVID? I mean, how much of it really is something we can really glean from this season? How much of it is a, that just sort of happened, particularly the Rocky series, part of the Mariner series, and even the, the end of that tiger series. Yeah. I mean, some of this is, so um, I looked this up yesterday and putting an article out on my blog today, the Astros are at 400, they won, uh, they're at a 400 winning percentage against the teams in the worst third of baseball. Predominantly, it's the series you identified, right? They got swept by the Rockies in that. That was also the snow series, and it's very sort of clear. Like, they didn't want to be there, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with all those Cuban guys who want to get the heck out of this snow. Um, you know, they had the terrible series against the Tigers, which not only combined, you know, the COVID issues you talked about. I think that was in the last game of the series, but also um, just got a really bad start. You got the worst start of the season from McCullers and a bad start from Grinky, and you know. I'm just kind of like, that just happens sometimes. Sure. Um, and then they had the series in Arlington where just, it felt like every break went, you know, went against them. They lost two of those games. In, you know, they lost that Sunday game because the Rangers were better at hitting balls, you know, hitting, you know, hitting soft contact in the 10th inning for, for Manfred Ball. So this is probably somewhat flukish. 
Um, look, the Twins are among the worst third of baseball, and you saw this series where the Astros just hit the heck out of the ball. Why? They have really good hitters, and the Twins have really terrible pitchers. And they were able to get to their bullpen on Friday, even with the bottom of their order, to win in the ninth, and they just scored 14 runs on Sunday. So they just hit like crazy against a really bad Twins bullpen. And so, yeah, they're going to play the Rangers. The Rangers are not a good baseball team. They have, you know, mediocre pitching and lousy hitting. And, you know, will they win the two-game series? Probably. They follow it up with the uh, Tigers, the Orioles, excuse me, the, the, the White Sox. And then it's the Orioles, Tigers, and Orioles. So it's a big stretch of really poor teams at times, the teams they play poorly against. I guess the good news for Astros fans is they're absolutely competitive and really good against the best teams. So that's probably an indication that they are, you know, one of the better teams in baseball, which we have lots of evidence for. And, it's, and conversely, I mean, the team that the Astros are, are, are looking up at and, and everybody loves this narrative. And I still, I don't care about how far back you are in June, particularly when you're two and a half games behind a team that's played three more games than you have. But <laughs> also the athletics have exactly the opposite splits. They are under 500 when they play really good teams and part losing seven of 10 to the Astros. I mean, how big of a lead one can Oakland get before you start to get worried, but also too, I mean, at the end of the day, how many games do you think the Astros win the West by? Yeah. I mean, so I'm skeptical that the A's will win more than 90 games in the end. And I'm confident that the Astros will win 90 games or more. Um, and so look, it's a long baseball season. The A's have, and look, the A's have some really talented players, particularly at their star level players. They've also been, you know, they've also played ahead of their, uh, their run differential this year. And you would expect over the long course of time, they would, you know, move back to that. That's part of my expectation that they will, you know, that they'll end up under 90 wins in, in the long, in the long haul. They don't have as many good players as the Astros. And so that being said, baseball is a fluky game. And it's one of the things that is constantly, um, you know, one of the best things about it and one of the most frustrating things about it. The Astros should be ahead of the A's based on run differential, based on how well they're scoring runs and how well you know, they're not. But I think it's a ways before we really have to. It won't be until August till I really start looking at the um, at the standings, other than just my expectation of sort of how many wins each of the two teams will have. Okay, that's awesome, and and I think I think you're exactly right. One one bold prediction before you go. Um, what do you think, taking your temperature on this one, you know, if Matt Chapman continues to um, underperform, Astros sign him and move Bregman this short. What do you think? Um, I mean, I uh, do think the A's are likely to trade one or multiple of Chapman and Olsen this offseason. And I actually do think one thing that will affect the A's is, like, I think there are really big, uh, there are really big candidates to trade for Trevor Story. It's the kind of move they've made before where it's, hey, this is a year for us to win. We're going to go get a rental and try to maximize what we need this year. So maybe it's not Trevor Story, but it'd be someone like that who's a free agent who they have no shot of re-signing. And, you know, we'll see what um, happens. I personally want Trevor Story to get traded to the Yankees so that the Yankees try to re-sign him and uh, Carlos Correa stays away from there. <laughs> Personal nightmare scenario. Yeah. Someone surrounded by too many Yankee fans. Well, before we run, then let's just take a, you know, we're, we are getting close to that, that part of it. And, and there has been 
leaking from both Yankees organizations and the Dodgers that don't, they don't expect there to be a bunch of moves. And one could argue it's not just because of the, of the, of the tax issue, but also because uh, we don't know what the what baseball is going to look like after the CBA. Do you see the Astros moving for a reliever, moving for a true center fielder, or do you think this is essentially the team that we're going to have going into October? I think the Astros will make a move, but it is sort of worth noting the Astros are seem to be treating the luxury tax threshold, uh, which I think is $211 million, as a salary cap. And that's indicative of the moves they made in the offseason, which limits their ability, you know, Obviously, look, it's easy for us to say, hey, Jim Crane, you just spend the money and yeah. go through the tax. There's some other consequences than just money when it comes to sort of compensation and free agents and draft picks. Um, but it does sort of limit things. The thing about bullpens is you don't necessarily need, look, it would be great if they went out and got, you know, uh, you know went out and got some high level guy there. You can make really small moves with the bullpen and get really effective. Players. That's, you know, the Rays have this great bullpen made up of nobodies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's possible to make a big move. Frankly, if I'm James Click, I'm trying to identify the next Will Harris, someone who is on the edges of some team's 40 man roster, but they don't understand how good he is and they may be able to acquire that person for cheap. And we'll see if they're able to do that. It's probably harder to do that today than it was back in 2015. Hopefully they find something like that. Hopefully. He is Brian Arbor. He is our host of Go Go Astros. Brian, we're going to talk to you in a couple of weeks. So uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the next couple of weeks of baseball. I will, James. You too. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Be, oh, man. My schedule next week is nuts. We're in. Uh... The Austin Revolution Film Festival presents Let's Get Two Extra Innings Short Films from Twitchy Dolphin Flicks. Is there anything worse than a video where an athlete announces where they'll be taking their talents? Dramatic shots of them writing on a legal pad with a feather quill, like we're supposed to think they're Ernest Hemingway and are pontificating on anything of any real importance. One even started to describe what a uniform was. That it was a shirt and pants. Fascinating. I never wore a baseball uniform as an adult, but the uniform I did wear seems somehow more important and also had shirts and pants. Baseball is at its best when it's not about millionaires making choices based purely on money, throwing their own integrity out the window to grow a social media empire, ranting about players cheating while basically gluing a ball to your hand. Baseball is about the best parts of us. It's about our country and our culture when it's really working the way it's supposed to. So I'm excited to be representing and throwing out the first pitch at these ballparks. These are organizations playing the game for the right reasons while supporting their community. They are everything right about the game and this country. So I can't wait, Corn Belters fans, Waterloo Bucks fans, Southern Maryland Blue Crabs fans, Lafayette Aviators fans, Traverse City Pit Spitter fans, and I can't wait, Fond du Lac Dock Spiders fans. So enough with the pretending to write deep thoughts in a piece of paper with a quill like I'm jotting down the Bill of Rights. This whole time, I've been drawing Superman. So let's quit the self-important pondering. Let's play ball. 
and let's get to it. To close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap up this episode of Let's Get To. We've had a great time with the whole crew out here in San Antonio, but I am joined by one of my favorite people, Alicia Rivetta. She is an actress who's worked with us a bunch. Those of you who are fans of the Austin Revolution, have you had a good time tonight? I had a blast. I'm with my favorite people. It's been so long since we've been together, so it was an immediate energy boost when I saw everybody's faces and to hug everyone for the first time. Now, we shot a film in basically it wrapped January of 20, I don't know how to my watch, like it was yesterday, <laughs> three hours ago, no, uh, 2018, we wrapped, a, we wrapped a film and we've not worked together in three years, but we have news. Yes, we have a new film coming out and it is, um, it's called The 27th Out and it is written by my two favorite directors, um, James Christopher and Cedric Thomas Smith. And it is about a daughter who is estranged from her father, and they get together um, and they bond and fix a relationship when their two uh, or their favorite team gets together and uh, wins the World Series. It's uh, going to be a little sadder than what you're used to from my work, and then therefore the work you see with her. But I really wanted to, to touch on what baseball means to people because there are so many, you know, from Cubs fans they finally won, Astros fans when they finally won. There was generations of people who didn't get to see that big moment, and I wanted to capture that big moment and what it might mean to two individuals who, and I cannot wait. It's gonna be a very different film for us. You and I are gonna need some therapy when we get through, but I think we're gonna be okay. <laughs> it, it'll be great, I'm very excited about it. Um, I mean, something like baseball brings families together, and you can see that with James Christopher. Uh, you see that with his daughter, and now his grandchildren. I should fire her for saying, pointing out that I was a grandfather, but we're okay with that. That is our show. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for San Antonio for opening up your home. Thank you to the Asheville tourists for being on. I hope you guys get to see out some baseball this weekend. I hope that your teams, if you're a college baseball fan, are doing great and super original. So, let's get you some peanuts. Let's get you some Cracker Jack. And let's get to...